You know, you know what they say about the first game of the final? It's, it's someone's going to be up one nothing. No, it's a close shave. Oh, you. It's a close shave, but not closer than you'll get with Manscaped, which you don't even have to shave. It's a trimmer. You see? Dangle. 20% off. Free shipping. Let's start the show. The Steve Dangle Podcast. Powered by Sports Interaction. Canada's Sportsbook. S-D-P-P. The Steve Dangle Podcast. With your hosts, Steve Dangle, Adam Wilde, and Jesse Blake. Let's go! Yes. Yeah? Yes. Yeah? Yes, where's the clapping, guys? Come on, help me out here with the clapping. Come on. For what? I want to know what I'm clapping for. What a game Miko Letnin had. U.S. Open. Miko Letnin with the best game. The golf claps for Rory McIlroy. Did I ever tell you I let him on the simulator ride at the zoo? No, wait. Oh, wait, no. Did you? Rory McIlroy? How was... Who's the Canadian guy? Isn't that Rory McIlroy? That's Adam Hadwin. No, no, no. Rory McIlroy won the Canadian Open. That's Who's, probably why you're getting confused. And Adam Hadwin, Mike, Mike, Mike Weir, forever. Mike Weir, Mike Weir, that was the one. Jeez. I don't know the name of the golfer. <laughs> oh my gosh, know. that's a swing and a miss. Um, how was your overtime call? <laughs> Better. Yeah, <laughs> I got the right guy. You did. That's good. That's good. You know, well, I, 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 I did want to ask you a question because because you know you're you're in there in that moment. Do you think that? Um, do you think that like do you, when you when you do these games and that sort of thing is do you feel like you're sort of narrating the game or are you reacting to the game or how does it how does it work for you because you're not play calling in the traditional way right no but it's it's a it's become a little of both and i don't know when i slipped into it right like uh, i feel like it used to be a little bit more conversational and now it's kind of half and half okay like it's is it's, it working for you i i like it i i really enjoy uh, like I'm struggling right now. I'm struggling because the, the lazy person in me wants this to be over in four. <laughs> the hockey fan in me wants this to go to seven quintuple overtime because the games are really fun and I'm having really, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun covering them. As mm. soon as the game starts, I'm into it. But it's one of those things where like, oh, I got work tomorrow night. You know what I mean? Oh, even if you love your job. Well, I still think you'd rather be doing nothing. <laughs> the, I mean, the play-by-play thing is interesting because on the streams, like I, I usually watch one uh, one uh, period you and then one period on the broadcast. That's interesting. And, and but you, on your broadcast, you hear the play-by-play. But so I can't. I, I'm watching, and it's sometimes it's double play-by-play. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it distracting? No. Because I'm more listening to you, but if you miss anything, I still hear the play-by-play. It's, we gotta, I, th- I think <laughs> we might have to at least get the game sound pumped in. Yeah. Because way too often, it's not until I see the replay, I'm like, oh shit, that hit the post. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you, you need that at some point. I think I do. Yeah. I think I do. That'd be the one thing I would change. But to hear Chris Cuthbert or whoever is calling the game while I'm calling the game, I think would be distracting. Right. For you. For yeah. me. But for the audience, it really helps. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Good. Yeah, I'm glad. Good I mean, everyone seems to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, we peaked at 16,000 uh, people watching at once, which for a Stanley Cup final with no Canadian team on a broadcast, you can only watch in Canada because no one has a VPN. And in late at night. 
no for a lot one. of people. And late mm-hmm. at night, uh, especially the overtime part. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's uh, 43 people less than Game Over Cup Final. Wow. Yeah, yeah they did about 17. Yeah, yeah sorry. sorry. You're done. <laughs> Andrew beat you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so let me ask you guys a, a, a question here, because we're, we're going to work backwards a bit with this game. You're Andre Burakowski, and you're taking an early shift in overtime. Mm. Okay. You're a 16-minute-per-game player normally, mm-hmm. but these playoffs, you've been cut to 12. Ooh. You were scratched for two games in the Edmonton series because the coach said you weren't reliable enough. Wow. And then you come back and you take an Evan Bouchard shot off the ankle. Yeah. And you hobble around. God, that looked painful. So you finally you're you're in. You're getting a sh- you're getting a shot early in overtime. You scored 22 goals this year, and I just wondered if you guys have ever thought about what it might feel like the following 5 seconds after you score the goal like Andre Burakovsky did. Do you ever are you able to Five years from now, I don't know, 15 minutes after, remember the first five seconds after that goal goes in. Oh, man. No. I think it's a blur. Has th- to be, right? I think it's a blur because it's just you getting... I, I, a lot of my memories are based on uh, the images I see. Mm-hmm. You know? Got one of those photographic memories. That's why, like, those Matthews compilations you make fun of me for watching in the summer, I can picture every goal. Uh... How do you picture getting mobbed by 25 people? <laughs> How do you remember that? All, all you see is, ah! Do you remember the feeling? Uh, you definitely remember the feeling. You're, yeah. You, you, you can't, I think it's one of those things where you might not be able to picture it, but you just, you can't help but instantly smile. Because oh. that dude scores memorable goals. He sure does. He had at least one OT winner with the Caps during uh, the 2018 run, mm-hmm. I think. I can't remember which game that was. But that's got to feel so good. He was great all game, I thought. And I was terrified from a play-by-play perspective. Mm-hmm. Because, again, okay, so the quality of the feed that I think everyone sees is better than the one I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Avalanche have a 92, a 96, and a 95. Right. And they, right? they're all left-handed. Ooh. It sucks. It sucks. That's hard. Yeah, it is hard, man. I hate it. I called Logan O'Connor Nathan McKinnon because they look the same. They don't play the same, though. No. No. They don't play the same. There was was one. I don't think it was in the Tampa game. I think it was in the series (laughs) against the Oilers where I was like, (laughs) Nathan McKinnon is in this. Uh, foot race and i'm like oh man you'd think he'd win that and he turns around slightly and it's logan (laughs) o'connor i'm like oh shit but um yeah i said andre burakowski with my whole chest and i really wanted it to be him and luckily it was (laughs) (laughs) um uh i didn't know this i was reading uh peter baugh from the athletic i guess burakowski went and worked with a sports psychologist this summer in colorado because he's so hard on himself that like it got to the point where it becomes a little bit destructive yeah. and he's like known for breaking sticks during power play drills if he's not performing well enough. So I guess it gets in the way sometimes of, of his own talent because he's so hard on himself. I believe it, man. I, I think it's probably one of the most underrated. Uh, this is one of the most underrated people you can employ probably as a mm. sports psychologist. I love that um, CJ story he was telling about uh clark MacArthur, remember that oh yeah yeah uh, you know and 
he was just really, he was completely down on himself. He speaks to the sports psychologist for like an hour. Next time CJ talks to him, he's like, yeah, I'm scoring tonight. Like just very matter of fact. And then he did in a, in a playoff game against the Bruins in 2013. I think it was, um, it's, it's a long season. These guys are all their entire childhoods. The best player on their team, probably at worst, second or third best, because they grew up playing with guys who are also going to be in the NHL. Right. Especially in Sweden and Finland where the, the pool is a bit smaller. They all know each other came up through the same ranks or new market. Or Newmarket, yeah. Newmarket. Yeah, uh, yeah. Travis Dermott, Sam Bennett, and uh, Connor McDavid were all on the same team as seven-year-olds playing wow. against Mitch Marner. Like, it's, yeah, it's wild. Wow. But you expect a certain level of yourself. And Burakovsky, I'm pretty sure, was first-round pick. He was, like, mid-first-round pick. He was supposed to be this. I think this. he's 22nd overall or something like that. There's so, some, uh, yeah. Some, something in there. And a lot was expected of him. I think it's pretty safe to say he's still probably not the player he was projected to be. But he's he's carved out a decent career. But one of the things you probably don't think about as a first-round pick is uh, dropping down in the lineup the further your career goes on. You know? Like, this, this is... He hasn't played this consistently low in the lineup probably since he was a rookie. Mm-hmm. There he is. Here he is. Game See, one hero. The article you were uh, reading, Adam, did it mention Nathan McKinnon and sports psychology? Because I know he's been one of the largest advocates for it, like dating back to uh, as long ago as like 2018, 2019. And he visited a sports psychologist and like he credits that a lot for taking him to the elite level. Like him spending a lot of time with the psychologist and getting him in the right fight. Maybe I don't, I'm completely out just guessing, but maybe that's an influence that McKinnon had Probably. on the rest of the team. And like yeah. Burkowski, yeah, maybe he gets that motivation from McKinnon, who's, who's been doing this for a while. Summer, I don't know if that was in there. Summer podcast idea. We got to have one on. We, we need yeah. a yeah. psychologist. Yeah. Because, that's a great idea, actually. Well, mm-hmm. like, what's the difference between like just a psychologist and a sports psychologist? I want to know. Sports psychologist calls you bro when you walk into the room. Yeah. Hey, bro. Oh, man. I feel so much more comfortable. How are you feeling, bro? Um, <laughs> I'm going to call I'm gonna Or call is it bro? McKinnon's. How are you feeling? I'm yeah. going to call up McKinnon, sports psychologist, and see what he can do. There you there go. You go. Yeah. Do you know who it is? Yeah. yeah oh, Googleable. Cool. Um, no, they didn't talk about McKinnon in this particular <laughs> article because it was more like a, a piece on Burakovsky and where he sort of stands. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting. Um, but I'm, yeah. And, and I remember like the first guy I can remember, like openly admitting to it. Cause it was back in the day. It was like, Oh, you don't say, you don't talk about that is Roy Halliday. Roy Halliday mm-hmm. was like brutal on himself. And he has this pitcher with all these amazing qualities and that, you know, they did the Jays just couldn't figure him out. Couldn't get him. You know, he had one game where he was almost, almost a perfect game. And then the next he's like being sent back down to double a or whatever. And, and then he talked to a sports psychologist and I think he continued to, and that's how he maintained his cool. Right. And I remember, Steve, you, you used to, when you were an intern at the Fan 590, you used to go and do Jay's games, but you would do the away team audio, right? So you'd yeah. go to the away dressing room. Yeah. And what did they tell you about Roy Halladay games? Oh, uh, well, so the first game I ever covered, I've told the story before, but I still love it. First uh, game I ever covered, it was 14 innings and I missed the last train home and I had to crash at a friend's apartment. It sucked. Second game, I was, you know, just like, you know, again, nervous in turn and trying to make small talk and the Sportsnet reporter was Barry Davis. And I'm like, oh yeah, the last game I did was that 14 inning one a couple of weeks ago or whatever. He's like, oh, Roy Halliday's pitching tonight. Don't worry. We'll be out of here by 930. 
Mm-hmm. And the game was over at 925. <laughs> <laughs> um, Roy Halladay was ridiculous. Just a, and, a, and, a monster. And Halliday's mental health, like we know it was kind of a tragic end, you know, and yeah. when, when his death, we learned about uh, his drug addiction. So yes. I wonder how much that played into his, it, just throughout his career, you know, and having to have a psychologist and all that. One, one of the things I was actually talking to someone about this yesterday, like there, there are the older I get and the more I, I talk to people like within sports, the more I realize there's so much we miss and there's so much we don't take into account. And like, if a player has a shitty game, you're like, what the fuck was that? But like, there's so much that goes into the, what the fuck was that? And one of the things, uh, is like, some people don't like flying. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine how hard it would be to, like, we probably all have friends who don't like taking the plane. Mm-hmm. They don't like going anywhere, even for vacation. Think of how hard it would be to be a professional athlete in an 82-game regular season, and you got to go on the road 41 times doing something that you're legitimately terrified to do. 162, and it's 81. Oh, my God. And baseball, yeah. yeah. That's even worse. Yeah. All summer, all year. Flights all summer, all every year. four days. Now, who, who didn't like flying? Like uh, uh, a few professional athletes oh, really? that I know of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. We, we weren't mentioning because because obviously Roy was flying when he died. I wondered if there was some sort of connection there. I was mid-story when I realized that. It was, um, it was yeah. just that it wasn't just a the connection you were trying yeah. to make. No. Yeah, it was. Sorry, no, no, that's I'm, a terrible coincidence. Yeah. But that's, no, it's interesting. You know, think about something stupid like this, like how great it feels, even, even when you do go on vacation, how great it feels to come back to your own bed, right? Now imagine you're oh, sleeping yeah. not in your own bed the whole season, or the, you know, the whole season or whatever. Or you're Tampa and you're playing at an oxygen level that's lower than what you're used to because it's thinner in Denver. Um, I get, I get, guys. Like I, I always talk about like how Jerome McGinley was notoriously impossible to get a hold of in the off season. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get it, man. I get it. I'm listen. I don't get to see my family as often as I would like to. Uh, leave me alone. Yeah, that is not fair. even rudely. Just no. This is my time now. Yeah, I've done your. I've done your time. This is my time. Yeah, and, and it seems like in retirement he's kind of taking the same track. It's like I'm just going to focus on my kids and focus on my life, and you're not going to know anything about yeah. me. Well, you know why I don't want to do a summer interview because I do like at least five interviews a week. Yeah, hundred percent. Now uh, back to the Stanley Cup Finals for a second. Um, listen, the Avalanche deserved this game the whole time, but they let the Lightning in. A couple of times, right? The comeback was very impressive by the Lightning. Did so. This is this is the conversation I keep having with myself. Did the Avalanche let the Lightning back in, or did the Lightning kick down the door? Well, here's why I feel like it was a let in, and okay. you guys could d- debate me on this one. The Avs outshot them all game, and all it was games. it was by a pretty wide margin. Yep. So the reason I feel like maybe, and maybe this is the Vasilevsky dif- difference, mm-hmm. TM, uh, is that. <laughs> Uh, I, I think, you know, when you look at the shot margin that wide, I thought Colorado dominated a good chunk of that play. Um, but they let things happen like that. Kut- fucking Andre Pilat, Kucherov to Pilat play. They're going to do that to you all series. They've done that all playoffs. Those Against two. one of the best pairs in hockey. M- yeah, McCarr like what do you even Taze, do like, about that? That's despicable. Right? That's despicable. And I, 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 we, I think we understood going into the series that there's a goaltender differential. And, that, and, and as you said with Jeff Merrick, you should just call hockey goalie. Yep. Um, but I do feel like there were times where the Avs could have been. I, I mean, you got to find a way to stop those things, right? If tighter. you're up two nothing and then you're up three one and they still tie at three three, I feel like you let them back in. And I know the Lightning are great. That's what they'll do. That's my fi- that's my opinion on it. Now, I'm assuming you guys disagree. Um, it's 
I just uh, like Darren Helm screened Kemper. I thought on the third goal. Mm -hmm. So like you could say the Avs let them back in that way. It may be the reason Tampa scored two goals in 40 seconds is because the Avs let up on the details for even a moment. A and they'll do that. A micro fraction of a second. They will do that. Tampa, man, like I would, I would bet on Tampa splitting the series in Colorado and it's got nothing to do with Colorado. Like it's, <laughs> it's got nothing to do with them. And also like that wasn't Tampa's final form. It was, it's not Colorado's either. Like they might get Kadri back. They might get Cogliano back. Yep. But like you got Braden point looking good at 30%. Good. Looking, looking, good. comes, he comes yeah. up. Yeah. Good. Uh, you're yeah. being nice. He, he did score. I am being he, nice he drew a call. Yeah. He looked no, he injured though. Did he not score? Oh, he did. Cause he is. Yeah. I have a theory. It's, <laughs> right. yeah, it's cause he is. Uh, he didn't, he didn't score. No, 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 why, did no I, why did I have that? Anyway. Um, sorry, go ahead, Jesse. Yeah, so you were saying um, it's not Tampa's final form. And like no. uh, Colorado, I thought they, I don't want to say dominated the third period, but the third period was theirs and they didn't get a goal. Mm -hmm. yep. you know? That's true. And, and going into overtime, you, you look at Colorado and you're like, okay, they, they were the better team throughout that entire period. And then you get to overtime and Pat Maroon charging the net and he has a chance to win it. Man. You know, after especially after that shot out of the thing. After like, taking the, the penalty, penalty, he has a redemption oh. on his stick and he and they they stop it, uh, fortunately for Colorado. But you know, you you that that doesn't I don't want it to take away from your confidence. Like if I if I'm Colorado that, hey, we played so well and they still were just one shot away here from winning. But it scares me. It scares me a little if if I'm them. Yeah, but you got to win that mental battle with yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay, I feel like Colorado's been battling that all playoffs. And like, what a great problem to have is you're always the better team. And you just, Colorado's job in these playoffs is to just be themselves, which is the better team, and just not screw it up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this isn't the first time they've been better, almost lost, you know, so hopefully they can you know, be confident that even if we're less than perfect next time, we can win. Well, we've been doing it all playoffs. And and uh, one of the things I got to be excited about, and this we talked about this uh, before the series started on Monday, I think it was Monday show or Wednesday. It doesn't matter. I don't know. Um, Jared Bednar not avoiding the... He's got home ice advantage. He could avoid McKinnon Sorelli. And instead mm -hmm. what he does, he goes, my best player is better than their best defensive player. And here's these numbers. Right. Okay, so the numbers for the Avalanche's top line is an 85.71 Corsi 4. Gee. And they out-attempted Tampa when that line was on the ice. Are you ready for this? 18-3. Mm -hmm. Wow. McKinnon this is, alone had 13 shot attempts. This is the part where I be galaxy brain hockey man. Yes, you're talking about Nathan McKinnon, one of the best players in the world. But let me focus on Valerie Nachushkin. Who was great. Dude, he was fantastic. He was absolutely fantastic. And I think you can look at that line on paper and go, okay, there's a potential black hole there, like where offense goes to die. Because that is, that's what's happened previously in his career. It's not the case. No, it's if, not you, the case if you anymore. watch him at all during these playoffs, you're like, he's holding his own on that line. Strange player, like weird career trajectory for sure. <laughs> yeah. But he's a, he's a beast right now. Yeah. I, I want to I, I change my pick as well. Avs in six. 
Oh, after one game, yeah. oh, have you oh, never yeah. watched Tampa? <laughs> no, it, All they, right. What I when when they're peaking, they're too good. So you're changing from you you had Avs in seven, yeah. So you're changing to Avs in six, yeah. And if they get the one tonight, I'm going Avs in five. Oh, stop! I'm going to keep dropping it down. No, they, you never you never saw the Rangers series when the Avs are playing at their best and Tampa is playing at their best. The Avs are the better team. I don't know. Oh, I don't when think so. When the two teams are going so. head to head, one to one, their peaks, the Avs are a better team. It's tough because I go, well, Braden Point. Do, do, do. Nazem oh, but Nazem Kadri. Do, do, do. And yeah, I'm doing my chill ratings right now. To me, it's the goalies. Head. That's the that's the game breaker. It's the goalies. Well, then it's Tampa in four. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just say, if we're talking head to head. Yes, I think. I no, think on paper, on the paper. games are played on paper. You know what's wild is. Jesse is you're far more likely to get abs in six than abs in seven. Mm-hmm. If this goes seven, you're you're essentially taking shots against God. Like, I don't know. Dude, <laughs> a gun out of cloud. Like, no, no, I'm at hockey shots, man. Like, oh. <laughs> Abe Simpson. No, I'm, I'm talking. Ta- no, I'm talking about his 991 save percentage in series clinching. Games. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about Andre Vasilevsky. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not more... talking about like you criticizing like I, thought, I don't know about this. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I allergic to ice cream? Like I don't. That, that's not what I meant. Shots Which of God. Jesse is by I the way, and don't sit next to him after he's had Vasilevsky plays like Zeus is what I meant. He does. He does. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but um, one team's better than the other team, and I'm gonna take that team. I, I have to say though, hockey. John Cooper. When does being the better team matter? In the Stanley Cup Final. When everybody's at their peak and they're playing their best. John Cooper said that was not the lightning at their best, uh, but not at the expense of how good Colorado was because he said that in the Leaf series too. Yeah, this but is this the- time he said, wait a second though. I'm not saying Colorado wasn't great. I'm just saying we were not our best. The third time in four series, Tampa has dropped game one and they're in the cup. Final. I think he's okay. Yeah, they're fine. <laughs> um, they're fine, man. Braden point, 18 minutes. Uh, I mean, listen, not bad. Uh, what I loved about what Gerard Gallant had to say about the Lightning, I don't know if you caught these quotes, but they asked him after the season was over and the locker cleanup, they're like, what, what was it? That, that How did the Lightning really get to you guys? And he said, I think they were patient. They weren't trying to force it. They were trying to play a shootout game. Uh, they weren't trying to play a shootout game with the talent and skill they have. Uh, they don't. They didn't want to play that game with us. They were really patient. We were a young team that made mistakes. And we, we saw that. Uh, they scored on the power play a little bit. And they took advantage of a few mistakes. But it wasn't like they were trying to open it up or play a wide open game despite the skill they have. They have played a real defensive and safe game and it paid off for them. And I think that's sort of what happened with the Lightning and the comeback this game, right? It's patient, find your spots, bang, and it's in. Something to look for is Victor Hedman didn't have a... a he had a less than a little Victor bit of Hedman a sloppy game. run around the board there and yeah. led to a goal. Well, in game six, Alexi Lafreniere beans him right in the head. Like... He hits one of the tallest defensemen in the league in the head. Nothing ever came of it. Yeah. Um, he took another bad hit uh, last game in game one. Did he get crushed uh, al- along the uh, near the penalty box? I don't remember. Is that, is that, oh. is that who I'm thinking of? Who there were crushed? a few big hits. Yeah, yeah. Josh Manson wrecked uh, Anthony Sorelli. He hit someone else really hard, too. Colorado wasn't afraid. No. No, 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 no. I it. Am I reading too much into it that Tampa didn't have the energy for the after-the-whistle stuff because of the altitude, potentially? 
Because it felt like they were they were <laughs> easier on Colorado than I expected. Or maybe yeah, they didn't get a week off. I'm, th- I'm thinking of the Sorelli hit on uh, the Manson hit on Sorelli. Yeah, but that's not clean. the uh, Headman one. Oh yeah, it's 100 percent clear. Oh, yeah, I, th- yeah. I just thought it was Headman. It was Sorelli. Yeah, yeah. that's so. And yeah, it was right near the bench. Uh, he got crushed. Sorelli's played such a ridiculous amount of hockey in his life. This is now his. What, third straight cup final? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he was on the bubble team. Don't put disrespect on Patrick Murrow. No, I no, know. He, no, played, but like, he's played a lot of Adding hockey. to the list. And, but, but the reason I said it for Sorelli is uh, Memorial Cup champion, Anthony oh. Sorelli. Captain of the Oshawa Generals, 2015 <laughs> Memorial Cup champions. <laughs> All right, Sam respect. Costantino. That's right. He, shut, it, he hey, shut down hey, Connor McDavid. Hey, what? Was that a bad thing? No. Want to fight about it? That's actually a compliment because I'm saying you're knowledgeable about junior stuff. Uh, Nazem Kadri considered day to day at this point, so he could be back. I have a question about about the Avs barn. First off, will Avs fans single handedly reunite Blink 182? You're not gonna. Is, so. You're not gonna yell the name. What? No, no, you do it. No, Adam, I'm not doing it. I'm you not the guy on the show who yells the word. I'm not doing it. The you, name you, of the arena, Adam. You have underwear. With your that word on it, I'm not doing it. I'm not a dancing pony. What is happening? I won't do it. Okay, Adam. <laughs> Say it. What's the name of the arena? Adam? There sorry, we go. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. God. Yeah. Dance. Dance. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, will Avs fans single-handedly reunite uh, Blink One Eighty Two? Yeah. Like it was awesome. If you're Blink, you got to be considering it. Like they have another guy, but it's not Mark, Tom, and Travis right no. now. It's Mark, Tom, and guy who went off to study UFOs. Um, one of them, one of them left actually, and is like a UFOologist. I don't know. And he's won like awards that. and stuff. And he was like a big part of like what NASA released on UFOs a couple couple That's weeks ago. Cool. It is pretty he's like neat. An actual is scientist. It, yeah, I can't tell. If, I don't even know if it's Mark or Tom. I think it's. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. know their names. I think it's Tom DeLong. Tom? The anyway. one in the what the fuck meme. Anyway. Yeah. Yes, that is how I identify people. Uh, the second that. thing is, and I want to ask you this honestly. Do the Avs, and this title moves places a lot. Like, you remember the, the, the Nashville run in 2016. Do the Avs hold the current title for most fun building in the NHL? No. This season? No. Vegas. Still? Fans? No. Yeah. No way. Vegas cannot. No way. They are not that loud. No uh, way. Oh, you're talking about loud. I'm talking about loud fun. I'm not talking about atmosphere. I'm talking about the fan group. I think what Avs fans are doing right now, they deserve to have the moniker as most fun group of fans. And everybody's like, well, oh, my, my team was eliminated. No, 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 no. Throughout the playoffs, the Avs have had the best fans. Period. Here's what it is. Oh, best. And I know, I know you're wondering. I know you're wondering. How is he going to do it? What? How is Steve going to make this about the Leafs? Oh, let's do it. Leafs fans, (laughs) hear me. (laughs) You can take a lesson from the Colorado Avalanche and their fans. A hundred percent. Because we ever, you know, we, we always look at the Leafs and we're like, oh man, the Leafs always beat themselves. They beat themselves. They're in their own head. They're nervous. They cave in the big moments. Projecting much? You cave. What do you mean? You cave. What are you talking about? Scotiabank (laughs) Arena has the most nervous energy in it in the entire National Hockey League. Okay, that I'll give you that. 
The entire National Hockey League. We watched the game in borderline stone silence, and then, oh, okay. We're dead silent until something happens because we're basically vibrating the entire game. Please let something good happen. Please let something good happen. Uh, And then the second the puck crosses the blue line into the leaf zone, it's just the entire time. It's borderline louder in the defensive zone than it is in the offensive zone. We're just praying that nothing bad happens. And then we wonder why nothing but bad things seem to happen. Jesse. Yeah. For game seven, was that your impression? Because I tell you, I thought I got a different impression out of the, the... The third period was nervous. The, the, the first two, the first two, it was electric. Yeah, good. like yeah. I, th- I think um, I think you're underrating the Leafs. I think you're being a little. Too I think critical. there's been a change in the group. Yeah. I think Jesse's right. There's been a change in the in the fan group. Yeah. It's been improving. It's no, been improving. But you weren't you weren't there during this play. You weren't there during these playoffs. And I didn't hear it. <laughs> yeah, you didn't hear it. You're going the game. I heard a bunch of the other ones. Steve, you're not ah. wrong. You're not wrong. But I'll say this. There was like a with Leafs fans going into Game Seven against Tampa. It was like a little bit of a resignation. Like we better leave it all out because yeah. listen, we've we've seen so many Game Seven losses. It's like fucking throw another one at me, motherfucker. Yeah. I'm still coming back. You can't kill what's already dead. 100. Go, go. <laughs> that's exactly. That's what the attitude felt like. And when that Tavares goal went in, I remember looking oh. at Jesse. And went ah, like just, just it was like guttural scream, and then the absolute you can't um, like the air was sucked out of yeah. the place. Oh, it was brutal! Yeah, and then Morgan yeah. Riley tied it. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, anyway, the, the atmosphere was incredible up until midway through the third, when everybody kind of was like, "Oh, this is actually we're not going to do it." See, but, no, but that's the teams losing. <laughs> we're we're about to be eliminated. That's that's, yeah, a, that's a whole different. Away. That's they a whole away. different thing than uh, saying the atmosphere is all nervous all the time. That's that was maybe not all. The maybe time. maybe that was that three years ago, but not anymore. It's easy to be optimistic no. in the first period. It's uh, that's that's how it used to be. You know, the Leafs fans were great this year. That's listen. The hockey we're, games are easy, medium, hard. <laughs> And then overtime is whatever you call it. Hardest. Like in terms of mood, it's easy to be optimistic in the first. A little harder in the second, but you know, you can do it. Third period, that's where it's hard. And that's where it feels like we crumble. The Avs coughed up a two-goal lead in 40 seconds. And their fans were just like, yippee! Don't care! Go Avs! Hooray! You're going to do it anyway! And even if you don't, we're going to have a good time! I spent a mortgage payment to be here, and you're fucking it up, and I couldn't be happier! Hooray! How How much of that cheering did you hear? None, but I saw it after. <laughs> I saw it after. All right. We were there. It was a great game. I saw so, it after. Adam, you're disrespecting the New York Rangers. Uh, Madison Square Garden was absolutely electric but this entire playoff. I'm still run. getting it to the Avs, even Adam. You're that's re- you're recency biasing the Avs fans. Oh, all know, right, that's... all right. Listen, I'll take some votes. Uh, leave the, leave the comments in the in the video below. Uh, one last stat before we got a couple of things to do. We're going to get to you can bet that and then we're bringing on Alan Walsh for a couple of minutes here because we're going to talk a little bit about the episode we just put out and then of course as you know later on in the show we got to talk about the uh, the Dodonov to the Ducks. Oh, I mean the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> trade. Uh, we've also got to talk about um, uh, the Gary Bettman press conference, Tortorella no, and Detroit has signed a giant. 
And I just want you to know about the Detroit Giant that's joining Grand Rapids next year. This is a guy you have got to keep an eye on. If you care about the AHL and development, whatever, at all, this guy is the guy to keep an eye on. I'm really excited about this. One last stat before we get to You Can Bet That. According to ESPN Stats and Research, only four teams in NHL history have trailed 0-2 in both the conference finals and the cup final. And neither of those teams won the cup. Meaning that Tampa's got to win. Mm-hmm. Just statistically speaking, Tampa must win this next game. They're out of their minds enough to be like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go down 0-2 just to fuck that stat up. Yeah, probably. Abs in five. Abs in five. There it is. Bringing on noted Yan Ruta, Stanley Cup champion and Stanley Cup player agent, Al Walsh. Yay! Oh my God. I'm back again. Back what again. is better with you guys? <laughs> Well, it's been too long, we figured. Yeah, yeah. we brought Alan on to talk about Martin Furk. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> What's Martin Furk good at, guys? Yeah. Hockey, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> and, and bombs. <laughs> how how hard is Martin Furk's shot? Uh, he, he has the hardest recorded shot in the history of hockey. Wow. 109.2 miles an oh. hour. <laughs> that is ridiculous. <laughs> World record. Ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, man. Noted Alan Walsh client. Martin, Martin Furk. <laughs> it's actually in the Guinness Book of World Records as the hardest shot ever recorded. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's cool. Have you ever asked him how he developed that? Like, how does that even happen? You, you know what? I, I have because it's so extraordinary. And, and he looked at me and he said, I've just always had a really hard shot. That's I was like, it. yeah, but so he doesn't but, even know. But, but give me, give me the secret sauce here. Like, how did this? I just always had a hard shot. <laughs> that's so hockey player. Like, that's every hockey player. They don't know how they do it. Oh my god, amazing, amazing! I'm you know, just so- glad that I've been on now for at least thirty seconds, and Steve's not doing the sword thing. Anymore. I'm not doing it. Think, I'm not doing I think, it. I saw the I, flurry jersey behind you. Yeah. We, I think we're I think we're finally past that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Suppose we'll see. Uh, uh, we won't. Uh, we won't bring up the uh, the new coach in in Vegas, Alan. Um, but uh, we do want to talk about a couple of things. First off, obviously, you saw Game One, and I just want to know what your takeaways were. Obviously, Jan Ruda's on the ice, but but you watch all these games. What was your takeaway from Game One of the Stanley Cup Finals? I thought Tampa did not play bring their A game. Uh, I think they have a history of starting slow in a series. Uh, I don't think uh, I don't think Vasilevsky had his best game. Um, and, and I think that when you go into the, the Stanley Cup finals and you're starting on the road, if you can come out of the first two games on the road with one win heading home, you're in pretty good. You're in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. And and that's why tonight's game, I think, uh, is going to be a, a, a critical game. I mean, every game is important, but this game is going to be, you're, are we going back home down to nothing? And then all Colorado has to do is split one, one out of two in Tampa and, and, and come home? Or, or is it going to be 1-1 one, one going home? And, you know, that gives Tampa a little bit of a, a little bit of an edge. Right, right. And so we, we were having a bit of a debate uh, a few minutes ago about who's got the best barn in the NHL. Like we saw the Preds fans at their best 
in the Stanley Cup Finals in 2016. They were unbelievable. So they won like best fan group that year. We Jesse thinks um, uh, Madison Square Garden. I'm giving it Vegas to. Uh, sorry, well. you're, you're giving it to Vegas, but like during the playoffs. Okay, where like the 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 loudest fa- group of fans is it Madison Square Garden or is it the Colorado Avalanche fans? And those are my only two choices. Well, you can pick another yeah. one. No, you get all 32 to pick from. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, 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 Adam was limiting it just to those two. Well, those uh, were the two we were talking clear. about. Nah. And Vegas, I guess. Nah. Okay. I felt like I'm taking a skill testing question here. Let's see, Colorado <laughs> or New York. Um, for, for me, uh, going by memory, the loudest I ever remember an arena being is Vegas in their inaugural year in the Stanley Cup Finals. Okay. Look at him. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, All I right. literally, I, I literally, after I, I was at um, every one of the home games in Vegas that year, and literally after every home game, my ears were ringing like I'd been at a concert. Wow. We and you've get down been there. to like 500 concerts. How, do, how can you hear? <laughs> how can you hear anything? What? What? Yeah, exactly. Did you say something, Steve? I, 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 I couldn't hear you. I said, who's the best player on the Ontario Rain? <laughs> In your opinion, Alan. <laughs> Alan, you know, we're, we're bringing you on for obviously because we love having you. But but we, we there's a really special episode of Agent Provocateur that um, that we wanted to talk about a little bit because, you know, uh, some most of it, it's about hockey. Most of the time we're talking about hockey. Occasionally it goes completely in a different direction. And this one's special, particularly to you. And, and in all seriousness, um, when uh, Adam and I first, when we started talking together from our very first conversation last July, um, and and started in, in my own mind processing the idea of doing a podcast. I didn't want to just do it to 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 do it. I wanted to have some theme or purpose behind it. And I started thinking, okay, I get to promote clients, and we've had a lot of clients on Mark Andre Fleury, Max Pacioretty. Jonathan Huberto, David Perron, you know, that's been awesome. New young clients, Boko Imama, you know, that's, that's been great too. I want to be able to talk about things like collective bargaining issues that I'm really passionate about. And, and we had a great episode, I think, on the MLB lockout while it was going on. That's been great. But a huge part of my life, although it was somewhat brief, given my um, old, old age right now, it was five years of my life right out of law school where I was a gang homicide prosecutor in L.A. with the L.A. County D.A.'s office. And I was very fortunate to meet a fellow D.A. who was regarded as a legendary L.A. prosecutor who tried some of the biggest cases in LA and US history as a prosecutor. He was the co-lead prosecutor of the OJ Simpson case. He uh, led the Michael Jackson child molestation investigation. Um, He um, led the uh, probation violation uh, hearings uh, regarding 
Shug Knight. I got it right out of <laughs> You got it right. Shug Knight. <laughs> Shug. <laughs> um, including the night where there was a gang fight in the casino of the um, L- uh, Las Vegas MGM Hotel, MGM Grand, that resulted in the death of Tupac that very night. And he was very involved in that whole investigation involving Las Vegas PD and LAPD. And during those years, uh, this gentleman, Bill Hodgman, was one of my closest friends. He was my mentor. Everybody looked up to him in the office, judges, defense attorneys. He just has that kind of charisma and aura about him of brilliance, um, integrity. Uh, and, and I always wanted to tell his story a bit through my eyes as a young prosecutor coming into that office. And, and I ended up in a, in a very short period of time. Uh, I was there for five years. I was in the hardcore gang division for four years. And in those four years, I tried 40 murder cases, which it's about 10 murder cases a year. It's an incredible clip. Mm-hmm. So, and I was just constantly in trial and, and Bill very much um, with his open door and, 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 and kind nature. Uh, I, I, many, I mean, so many times I can't even count would literally be on a break uh, on a recess in trial and sprint up the stairs, bolted to his office, you know, with, like I said uh, it, on the podcast with wild eyes, <laughs> Bill, Bill, quick, quick. I got 10 minutes. This is happening right now in my trial. What would you do? And Bill would say, okay, well, uh, think like a lawyer. And I would approach it like this. And I'd be like, thanks. You know, I'm, I'm 25, 26 years old. I'm, I sprint back down to court, get back in just as the judge is taking the, And boom, I take Bill's advice. And things you know, all, you know always work out well. And, and I thought that it was, you know, he's a fascinating person um, who uh, encountered so much uh, and captured so much of what LA was about back then in those years, as Adam brought up and, and, and right on point uh, about the Rodney King riots and how that influenced the OJ Simpson case. And it had great impact on it. And Bill talks about it in depth. Uh, if you recall back in those days, the entire world was watching that trial on a daily basis. And around the courthouse during the trial, there was an entire tent city that got erected around the courthouse that was nicknamed Camp OJ. And there was media there from all over the world in these huge tents, broadcasting, commentating, uh, almost around the clock. And uh, it was a it was an incredible time to be down in the criminal courthouse as a DA, um, as a witness to history, uh, and at the same time, y- y- you know, being able. I mean, you're sitting in the courtroom, and in walks you know legendary, famed criminal defense lawyer F. Lee Bailey, 
I mean, you know, Johnny Cochran, Robert Shapiro. It was an incredible time to be there and to witness it all. And Bill's a great storyteller, uh, just a fabulous storyteller. So I think that um, we captured that, uh, uh, you know, all of us together. And, and it, as I, many times what I envision in my mind never really comes to fruition. This is exactly how I imagined it would be. And there it was. So it was great. And I talked to Bill um, after we recorded and he really enjoyed the trip down memory line. He, Lane, he hasn't talked about OJ that often since the verdicts. There have been um, one documentary that is still on Netflix called OJ Made in America. And there's a uh, eight or nine minute clip where Bill recounts his belief on how the murders occurred, which is just chilling. Uh, but other than that, he has not spoken about it um, really at all. Mm -hmm. So what, what we had um, in, in, in what was released yesterday was very much um, somewhat of an exclusive because many you know, he had many book offers. He had uh, uh, almost everybody attached to that case wrote a book except Bill. And, um, and, and some of his insights have never been spoken about publicly. Uh, a couple of things he said on the podcast, he's never talked about publicly. The sheriff deputies, after the verdict, talking with the jurors and coming back to Bill and saying, you guys never had a chance. Their, the jurors' minds were made up even before the trial started. This was really about Rodney King and evening the score. And, and that's fascinating in and of itself, mm -hmm. right? And if we had been on CNN and, and Bill had been saying that, it probably would be pretty big news. So uh, it's, it's something different for everybody. It's different for SDPN. It's different for Agent Provocateur, but that's really, you, you know, we're always going to talk about the agent side of things, the player side of things, but also every once in a while, come in and do something like this. And, and I hope everybody enjoys it. Well, and I think the cool, the cool thing, I think, is, is that so many of the themes that Bill talks about in the episode are so many of the things that we still see today. The inequality of the justice system. You know, Alan, you talked about a guy who had ripped off a bunch of senior citizens in a Ponzi scheme. And Bill, that was considered the biggest financial crime of its day before, you know, the big crash in 2008. But he actually went to jail. And, you know, that, you know, and, and seeing a, a, a rich white guy go to jail immediately, remanded to custody immediately. You've got that. You've got, you know, the, the, the Rodney King thing is very interesting because a lot, a lot of people know about the riots, but they don't know that the four police officers went to trial afterwards and were let off. And it was all on TV. And so these are all fascinating themes, I think, that still uh, in many ways affect us and in a lot of ways plague us today. And I think it's a, it's a fascinating sort of look at that. So um, it's going to be, uh, it's an interesting one. And I also, Alan's got a couple episodes uh, before that of just straight up playoff stories, uh, including uh, bringing most of the Pittsburgh Penguins to a sandwich shop in Montreal, which you need to check out. Um, and I believe that, I think the picture might still be on the wall, Alan. I'm not sure. Uh <laughs> It, it, it's, it certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, so thanks for making time for us today, Alan. We appreciate it. And obviously, you can check out the, the whole Agent Provocateur episode is up. And it's funny. You, you always know you did a good job with this show when people go, 
Wow, I wasn't expecting that. I guess I'll have to check out the rest of them. Yeah. And and, uh, and and one quick thing too. One of the guests we had was Max Weinberg of the E Street Band. Steve has a connection with Max. Yes, um, his son Jay, <clears throat> who is the drummer for Slipknot, uh, reached out to me on Instagram and he invited uh, me and my dad to his show because he knows my dad's into into metal. And I went. One of the best shows I've ever seen in my entire life. It was unreal. <laughs> yep. And then I met him afterward, and he was wearing a Toronto Marlies jersey, as one does. <laughs> um, he, ca- he came out onto the stage after the show with a Jack Campbell jersey as well, and everyone's just like, yeah! <laughs> I can only imagine the ovation he would have gotten if he came out with an Alan Walsh client jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. It, it would have brought down the house. Absolutely. Yeah. You need a leaf, yeah. man. You need a leaf. Yeah. 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 Well, there's always this summer, Alan. I hear people are looking for a goalie. Um, anyway, Alan, <laughs> thanks so much for your time as always. And, and Agent Provocateur, it's a brand new episode out right now. Great to be with you guys. Okay. So, uh, Dodonov traded. But not to the Ducks, although the Ducks social team deserves a big shout out because they wrote back when, when Vegas announced the trade, they just wrote, you sure? Are you sure? Yeah. Oh. Uh, uh, Perfect. I, I want to, before we get into why this makes sense for both sides, if that's not abundantly obvious, I just want to read out what Shea Weber just posted a few minutes ago on the Montreal Canadiens website. Growing up playing hockey in Canada, it's every kid's dream to play in the NHL. I consider myself extremely fortunate to not only have done that, but have had the chance to go for, uh, to play for a Canadian team and a member of the original six. Never in my wildest dreams could I have imagined playing, for one, uh, playing, let alone being named captain of the Montreal Canadiens. Pulling on that legendary jersey every night was one of my greatest honors, and it's something I appreciate every chance I got. I want to thank my teammates, coaches, trainers, management, entire organization, Jeff Molson and the Molson family, Montreal media, and most of all, the fans for embracing me and my family for making the city my, feel like a second home. Montreal will, will always be in my heart. Merci pour tout. Shea Webb. And the trade was one for one, Shea Weber, for Tadonov, uh, right? Yes, it was. It was one for one. Yeah, he's a one for one kind of guy. Now, this is really obviously, but I, I don't know that it's obvious to everybody still. Uh, it's about Shea Weber's contract and health. And, and immediately afterwards, Kent Hughes got on Zoom and started doing his interviews. And he said, listen, I wouldn't have made the deal if Shea was ever going to play again. But he said his, his, his injuries are pretty serious. And I think... I think what gets lost in that context in looking at a comment like that is I don't think Kent Hughes would have ever been able to make a Shea Weber trade if there was any chance Shea Weber was going to play again. There's an, like there's no way. He's got one of those old back diving deals. Remember we were talking about those? Oh, his, his contract is monstrous. Monst- I wonder how many do, years do you, you, have to, uh, you want me to read it off? Yeah, yeah. So we got Shea Weber signed this contract on July 24th, 2012. Uh, Mr. David Poyle signed it. It is uh, four- uh, Mr. David Poyle matched it. Matt, oh, it was an offer. So right. the interesting thing about this contract, I think we touched on it last episode, was that it's an offer seat matching by the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Flyers. Flyers because they were trying to steal. Uh, Shea Weber and they were like Nashville has doesn't have the money they can't afford this and David Poyle was like fuck you I'm gonna do this so he matched <laughs> sure the contract did. it's 14 years 110 million dollars 7.857143 against the cap every single year for those 14 years the money paid out for the first four years is 13 million dollars the 
Uh, next two years, $8 million. This is the signing bonus that he gets on July 1st. So the first four years, well, he gets $13 million. These are just the signing bonus. Just, just the, the signing, signing bonuses. Bonus. And then he was making league men throughout the year. And then, yeah, his base salary throughout the year was a million through most of it, and then jumps to four, then jumps to six, and right now it's at three. But the signing bonus after five years is $0. He no longer gets the signing bonus for the back half of the eight years, of the 14 years. And then his, uh, but his total salary right now is a million dollars base and then that's it so for the last three years of this deal or last four years he's gonna make three million dollars this year and then the last three years he makes a million a million a million wow you know so, yeah it so they got rid of this in 2013 in retrospect how didn't they see this as a potential problem when they originally you sorry the the shea weber deal was in 2013 I think it was 15. He, 2012, this deal was like, No, no, no. You mean the trade to Montreal, right? Oh, my. No, 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 no. no. So what, what I'm talking about is in 2013, after the lockout. Oh, they, they got, got rid of this type of deal. Yeah, Sorry. they got rid of this type of deal. Apologies. But when they came up with the salary cap in 2005, how didn't they see this as a potential problem? That Shea Weber has been a double-digit salary player for half of this deal or whatever, close to it. With a $7.8 million cap hit. This contract is a crock of shit. Mm -hmm. Although if you're him, I sign that immediately. Right. Of course. If somebody puts that in front of me, I don't care what they team never is. They thought about, hey, you can structure the actual payout of the money differently. They said like, okay, here you, you sign this thing against the cap. It's got to be even against the cap all the years. But they never thought like, hey, the GMs are going to get creative with the bonuses and the payouts. I, I get how you don't think about that, but the GMs are very smart. I, you people. have to understand too how that in an after how, how these yeah, deals like, come together is that is that you know they're under an immense amount of stress to get these labor relation deals done, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you don't have time once you're closing in on a deal to think about well. <laughs> okay, let's galaxy brain the next five years of every loophole they're going to find. Let's bring Lou Lamorello and Brandon Prinham in. Ah! And, and it's not a loophole. How the fuck dare you? We'll get to that. We'll get to I'm that. I'm going to beat your ass. That's a Gary Bettman thing. We'll, right. we'll talk about that. On behalf of Gary yeah. Bettman, I'm uh, going to beat your ass. During, during no tough negotiations when you're doing the CBA, they're not thinking about Brandon Pridham. Right. Who's sitting there <laughs> with, his, with his calculator, because that's how he does this. Sitting there with the his internet. calculator. Coming up with the CBA. You're right. Coming yes. up with the CBA and also coming up with the ways to get creative with the money. You know, they're not thinking about it. They're just trying to get a deal done so that they can get hockey back on the ice. Right. Would I use the word circumvent? I sure wouldn't. But you might have with Shea Weber, and that's how the NHL sort of saw those contracts. Um, now, the, the Montreal Canadiens obviously did not want to play with that much dead cap on their team uh, going into next season. And it's understandable why, because, you know, the Canadian teams, frankly, were hit much harder by the pandemic. We, we didn't get fans back in seats uh, and, and ratings actually fell off a little bit, too. Right. It, yeah. Now, now that, those those numbers are somewhat um, stable because Sportsnet pays an amount each year as a part of their contract to the NHL. But, you know, when you oh. have let's say you've got advertisers in the stadium and you promise X amount of people are going to see this ad and all of a sudden people aren't in the stadium and you might catch a glance of it on TV, the prices change. And for, uh, uh, you know, a, a city like Montreal, that's going to matter, right? So mm -hmm. you, you don't want to have $20 million in cap, dead cap space. I get it. And Dodonov makes a lot of sense for them because Montreal really couldn't score until Marty St. Louis showed up last year. And even then they weren't that great at it. And he's good for 20 goals. Oh, yeah. 
He had, uh, I saw a stat today. He had 16 points in 16 games after the failed trade. <laughs> point of game play. This might be a great trade for them. This might be a fit. He's got one year left at five million. There's nothing. There's no downside in Montreal. You're this. trading somebody who's never going to play again for a player. Perfect trade. Yeah. Yeah. And you a fake. Perfectly normal and common in the National Hockey League. Yeah. <laughs> a very good league with so no loopholes whatsoever. I would love to see in the next CBA that if you cannot play the game of hockey at the National Hockey League. You no longer have to be against the cap. You no longer can be traded. You no longer count. You're just, you're done. People are going to abuse that worse than they're abusing it now. I have a question. If you're retired, everything should be gone. Yeah, I agree. Like, you still get your money. Yeah. But the team doesn't get punished. You still have to pay out the money. You still have to pay out the contract, but the the guy's gone. And And you know what's good about that? You can't have any bullshit trades like the Ben Bishop one to meet the salary floor. Yep. You have to please make billionaires spend their money. Shout out to Kevin Weeks for calling that trade what it was. Ben Bishop was not traded to the Buffalo Sabres. Ben Bishop's contract. Ben Bishop's contract. Yeah, yeah. Was it wasn't, wasn't Chris Sabres. Pronger or Coyote. It wasn't Pavel Datsyuk. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's just, we should get rid of these contracts that are being swapped for guys that no longer play game of hockey. Why are they still counted against the league? I agree. Well, the thing is, is that technically they haven't retired. And that's what the that's what the lawyers would tell you. Fart. Fix that. Fix that wording. Fart. Like, what if you what, called for it? what? For the purpose of what? What if you called There's it? No for, so we're not that. holding up these teams like Arizona. What if you called it? What if care. there was a different distinction? You called it something like permanent injury status, yeah. which is you're not going to retire. You're going to get the rest of your contract, but you're never coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Piss. Permanent injury status. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. You got to. Uh. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Permanent hey, injury. Don't don't status, leave them. Don't sir. leave them hanging. Don't leave them hanging. Oh, I didn't see. <laughs> don't make a, I didn't see. Robert and Jamie, that one's for you. Right. Oh, that was worse. It <laughs> was worse. Do you have cap friendly tweets in front of you? I want to die right now. Oh, that's that's not even a top five most embarrassing thing to happen to me this week. <laughs> All right, let's pull cap friendly regarding Shea Weber. Yes, What's, I have them right in front of me. Oh, well, then get, oh, them, get them in front of me. Cap friendly is beautiful. <laughs> what do they say? Adam, can you get that thing? I already have it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get it Wait, first. Ha- oh, no, no, no. no, no. Just I ahead. thought you were going to say it. Adam, can you pass me my what laptop? Happened to the show? Can you pass me my laptop that's in front of me? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stephen. Take it. Cap friendly. Why'd Montreal make this trade? No club wants to use LTIR, which is an interesting distinction. We all think teams want want to. They want to have this ability to spend over the cap. A lot of teams don't. Why did Montreal make this trade? No club wants to use LTIR. It's restrictive to roster construction. Mm-hmm. No pro rating, so recalls cost more cap space and makes an overage penalty significantly more likely. This trade enables the possibility of this Habs or of the Habs operating without LTI this season. So for example, they're about to pick first overall. Mm-hmm. The first overall is going to have bonuses. If they hit their bonuses, their contract is going to go from something like uh, 950,000 to potentially as high as close to 4 million. Wow. Right? That's what happened with Matthews. Why did Vegas make this trade? For LTI teams, trading a healthy player for an LTIR contract is money in slash money out, Mm -hmm. where the team effectively creates cap space equal 
to the amount of healthy player or amount of the healthy player, Vegas made five million in cap space. Past example, the Tampa and Chicago Tyler Johnson for Brent Seabrook trade. Now they have to do this for a lot more a lot of a lot of years. Like that Shea Weber contract doesn't end anytime soon. Well, I don't and think that, Vegas and, and the cap hit, no matter what they're paying him, that cap hit remains the same. Vegas plans on doing this for a number of years. I guess we're gonna, gonna be have to. up against the cap. So we don't have to worry about it. We're probably not going to have any top five picks that are going to have Bowden bonus laden deals. And if we did, we'd trade him anyway. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they kept players on LTIR for longer than they needed to this season, probably, so that they could uh, work with the roster they have. So I'm missing how this isn't a loophole so that let, that brings <laughs> us to the uh the gary bettman press conference and you're talking i think specifically about him was that not Dun- a mike stevens good it was keith that we're talking about now duncan keith well <laughs> the so, the, so the mike stevens question mikey mikey stevens 81 uh you should follow him he, he seems to be he asked gary that question gary was super pissed at him it seemed you know and what? then mikey went and watched a baseball game at course field dude uh, <laughs> he's i i gotta give him a shout out he's he's a young guy uh like mid-20s he's at his first stanley cup final and he asked gary bettman the question that made him the most uncomfortable what what was the i didn't see any of this what was the question well he's basically talking about um tampa is in their third straight final and they've been using loopholes um basically this whole time like what does it say about the league now that's me paraphrasing i don't remember the exact wording of the question now when i retweeted it and said this was awesome tampa fans got defensive I want to be clear. The Tampa Bay Lightning have done nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. And that's exactly what Gary Bettman said. Vegas has done nothing. Yeah, but he said it with a bit more full of shit. Um, Tampa's done nothing wrong. Vegas has done nothing wrong. Uh, The Habs have spent over the cap. The Islanders have spent over the cap. The Leafs have spent over the cap. Lots of teams have spent over the cap using this. Remember Nathan Horton? What number did he wear for the Leafs? Right. It was a leaf for a long time, or at least he was on the books for a long time. It's not that they've done anything wrong. They've followed the rules. The problem, and I thought I was clear in this, the problem is not Tampa or Vegas violating the rules. The problem is the rules being hunk of shit rules. Hmm. It allows the rich teams to continue doing this. It allows the broke teams to continue being broke ass. Like, uh, not Vegas, sorry, Arizona has had the most ghosts play for them in NHL history. I think we're all surprised they didn't make this trade. Can I read Batman? I found your tweet. Yes, please. So, uh, Taylor uh, Haas quoted his answer. All right. So, Batman says, Batman on Tampa's use of LTIR. I don't think they've been using loopholes. They've been using the agreement as it's been drafted. They're not using loopholes. They're using effective cap management. Everyone's operating under the same agreement. And then you said uh, on your Twitter, a masterclass in using the truth dishonestly. Yeah, which I don't take back at all. That's, that's, yes, they didn't violate any rules, Gary. Thank you, Mr. Lawyer Man. They didn't violate any rules. 
Here, Jesse, read my other tweet since you got it. <laughs> I can I can read it. So so you were responding to somebody who uh, was critical of you saying that Tampa's using a loophole. You said, nothing Tampa does with the cap is wrong. They're using the cap under the rules. But, you wrote in caps, are the rules silly? That depends. The cap is designed to keep salaries down and keep teams spending similar money. But the teams that can afford it routinely spend well over. So does it work? So Vegas is going to be spending over. And Tampa is currently spending over. Which was the whole point of the thing. Tampa, so this all, all, everything I type pertains to Tampa. Because the question was about Tampa. 24 hours later, after Gary Bettman says there's no loopholes, a player who's never going to play again gets traded. All right. For cap relief! I think, I think he got hung up. I think too many people are getting hung up on the word loophole. And that it's not a loophole and that you can do it. Sorry. But it's, it's like, I think your tweet's very accurate, accurate in the words you use where it's using the truth dishonestly. That's very, that's very well, good what's, uh, words to describe the situation because it's not a loophole. Like, he, Gary, Gary's so lawyer that he's very correct, yeah. but you're correct in that he's saying the right thing, but dishonestly. Yeah, he's using the truth to lie. Yeah. Loophole. <laughs> 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 an ambiguity an ambiguity or inadequacy in the law or a set of rules meaning that if if the rules are the rules and you are exploiting them but not in the not in the spirit of what this was supposed to be which is what's happening Toronto did it I'm fine with it but that's what's happening um uh, that is what we're that is that is what a loophole is so Gary said they're not using any loopholes in fact Gary's incorrect that is a loophole. Yes, that's how the rules are, but clearly that's not how they were written and it's not the spirit. Sorry, what Mike should have said is, is the collective bargaining agreement a hunk of shit? Well, no, no, no. I, I don't know if, if, I don't know if I go that far either. I don't, I'm not a fan of the salary cap either, the way it's constructed. I think it makes things boring. And the big trade we're talking about is Shea Weber for, Shea Weber who'll never play again and for the, GM, the captain of the team yes. was traded. The GM openly said... If he was ever going to play again, I'm never trading him. But he's not playing again, so I was like, got to get rid of this that guy. That is a retired person. He shouldn't be allowed to be transacted within this Agreed. league. I agree. I agree with that. Oh. However, Mike was correct in using loophole. Uh, that is a loophole within a set of systems. Now, I wouldn't have known that before I looked it up, but I figured I'd look up the word. And, and, and to be honest with you, like, see, here's the thing with Gary. And, you, and, and Steve, I think you touched on a point here. Gary is never gonna give an inch and the way you do Ever. that the way you do that is gary if 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 one of gary's uh policies set a building on fire he'd tell you that there was something wrong with the construction of the building do you see what i'm saying yes. there's never gonna be you're never gonna get gary to actually admit you know what we got to work on that for next time ever unless it's owners more money <laughs> right now, let's, let's talk about another thing let's talk about another loophole that's being exposed here because here's here's what's happening. They announced that the revenues are what five point two billion at the at the Gary Bettman press conference, and I, Sarah Sivian and a few other people, Alan Walsh, a few uh, were were all saying, "Okay, so your revenues are back to normal. You're fine." And everybody's like, "You don't understand how revenue works. They they have to pay the escrow back." Yeah, we fucking get it. They have to pay the escrow back over the next three years. But here's the problem. Okay, the owners don't want or need to make money off these franchises. Where they make their money is equity. 
Equity is where you make your money in real estate. It's where you make your money in business. It's not your after-tax profits, guys. They don't give a shit about that. What they care about is, I bought this 10 years ago. It's now worth, a calculus, 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 150 times what it was worth. The world is purely at the mercy of fantasy dollars. It's, it's equity. It's perceived like, value. So, so guys, here's the thing. <laughs> so we're talking about revenues, and, the, and these are revenues that are split between the owners and players. The, the, the players take no equity out of this. They get nothing in terms of... Uh, so, so the idea that the salary cap couldn't go up this year is, is total crap. It's just the way the rules are written. It's a nice little loophole for the NHL. And the salary cap is going up by a million dollars. What's it going up by for Vegas? <laughs> Five. <laughs> it's, funny. it's funny you should bring up the equity thing because I was listening to Bill Simmons this morning after the Golden State Warriors won the NBA championship last night. And he was praising them as an organization because their owners, they allowed the GM Bob Myers to put all pump whatever he wants into the franchise in terms of signing players. And then their coaching staff makes a shit ton of money in comparison to all the other coaches. And they don't care about how much they spend year to year on the Golden State Warriors. They spend a ridiculous amount more than probably any other team. Uh, the Lakers do the same thing where they just spend all this money because they understand that if we win these championships, if we have players like Steph Curry and Draymond and Clay, and we build up Wiggins and we have Kerr as our coach and we have all these greats, if we're a winning franchise, the value of our franchise goes up. And he was making this point. He's like, just spend all the money each year, each year because you're... $950 million investment is now worth $4 billion. Your $2 billion investment is now worth $6 billion in 15 years. So who cares yeah. what you spend year to year on your coaching staff? Jesse, like, they, spend it. they spent all this money on their players <laughs> and they won and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but think of how much better the Golden State Warriors would have done, at least financially, if they had acquired retired players who are never going to play basketball again. So in hockey, when you see these teams that are purposely cutting budgets and like when Carolina didn't want to pay Brindamore and his staff, yeah. you're, you're, you bought the team for $750 million. In 10 years, it's going to be worth $2 billion. Who cares what you make year to year if you're saving a couple hundred grand? Um, the equity thing, it's such a fascinating point about how these sports businesses should be run. I also want to throw it out there. It's called, you know, investing in your investment. It's crazy. What a, <laughs> what a wild what a wild thing. And paying people their market value. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's crazy. I, I think beyond that, just for a second, you know, you look at, let's, the Ottawa Senators are going to get sold here, guys. Like, it's going to happen. Probably. The Ottawa Senators are 99% going to get sold here to somebody. If the family doesn't want to keep it. If, yeah. And the thing is, the family can keep it, but then you've got to, you've got to do wealth dispersals. Who's going who's gonna to hold the Eugene Melnick estate? Like, who's the heir that holds that? It's going to take Are forever. they going to have enough money? Because there's a couple of kids involved here, mm -hmm. and that gets split and split and split again. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So there's chances are this, te this team's going to have to be sold. The Ottawa Senators right now might be worth... $350 million, let's say. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Might even be high. Sure. How much money, how much more money are the Ottawa Senators worth if the LeBreton Flats deal went through and the arena is probably ready to go this season, this coming season? Because mm -hmm. it probably would have been. So much more. So much more, right? And it's this kind of stuff. It's this kind of stuff where I just, I, I sit back and we go back to using loopholes in the language mm -hmm. where it's they they have to they can't ever say you know what we could have done better on that 
And that's what frustrates Steve about Gary, I think. Mm. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah. Tying it all back together. You would never admit that. He would, you know, do you know what I'm saying? It, listen, in Tampa fans, I'm fully with you. 2015, the Chicago Blackhawks held Patrick Kane out of the lineup. They held him out of the lineup. Game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs, he's, he's back. So they were able to, I believe it was Antoine Vermette they went out mm-hmm. and got. And they were able to do that. Yep. They were able to afford it because they waited to bring Patrick Kane back into the lineup for game one. After Tampa lost in the Stanley Cup final to the Chicago Blackhawks and Patrick Kane, Tampa got up in front of all the GMs and said, does anyone have a, have a problem with this? It feels like you should have a problem with they this. They did actually have, this actually mm-hmm. happened. This, this is actually a true happened. story. Yeah. This is a true yeah, story. This is, not say that it's a true story. Yeah. yeah. This, this is, is not a hypothetical. You know, I'm taking some creative liberties here, but it's, this happened. Mm-hmm. Tampa got up in front of the entire NHL and said, does anyone have a problem with this? And the NHL said no. And I'm sure behind the scenes they went, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you lost in the cup final and, and you're upset about the rules now. That no, the Chicago Blackhawks, who are on the uh, owner's uh, executive, did nothing wrong here. All they did was use the rules better than you. And Tampa said, all right, we're mugging you. Mm-hmm. We're mugging you for the next half decade plus. We are going to stomp your teams into the ground. By using the same shit. And God bless them, they did. And God bless them. I love it. God bless them. I did not know that story, by the way. You didn't know that I'd story? I never heard that story. That's they, you were just saying you knew it was true. No, no. I, I said, is it a true story? I said, you should say that it's true. I didn't uh, know that it was true. Yeah, that, oh, yeah. No, that, I, was like, I was like, is this a true story? That happened at the whatever GM meetings were most recent after the awarding of that Stanley Cup. The That's tw- when that conversation After happened. the 2015 Stanley Cup. So it yeah. would have happened later in 2015 that, or early 2016. Yeah, whatever that next GM meetings was. That's when Tampa raised that, their hand. And Tampa yeah. said, hey, this is kind of full of shit. We should probably not do this anymore. And everyone went, mm-hmm. get good, mm-hmm. be better, cope. And they friggin' Eisenman said, "Fuck you guys." I, they said, <laughs> and Breeze was said, "All right." Now they're I will in, continue in their, to fuck you guys. Yeah, uh, they're in there. They've won a president's trophy. Uh, they uh, have won back-to-back cups. They're in the third straight final. I'd say they coped pretty well. Mm-hmm. But this rule fucking sucks. I don't think it sucks. I think you just—that's the rule. Play the game. You really? You don't? Think I don't think it sucks. The, I think, what's I think the salary cap for? Right. Well, the here, salary cap is to keep salaries down. hundred percent. This it, this flies completely in the face and against the spirit of what the salary cap is for. I'll tell you why I like the rule. It allows the teams with money to spend more money. And I'll tell you why I like the rule. Why? I like this rule not because I'm a, a fan of a of a very rich NHL franchise. That helps. <laughs> that helps. I won't lie. But I'll tell you why I love this rule. I love this rule. Because it hits at the heart of the credibility of the current system, which I am completely against. The current system depresses player market value. It makes a mockery of the cap that currently exists. A call-in mockery. A call-in mockery. Yeah. Whose line is it in? Wow. Um, it makes a mockery. Canadian of, legend. And, and so when conversations like this happen and people like you go, you know, this doesn't make sense and it's not fair. I go, huh, no kidding. Because I get explained to, I get explained to all the time whenever we talk about this on Twitter. That's why I've stopped talking about it. <laughs> I'm so sick of you bringing this up. 
I'm so sick of you saying you're sick of me bringing it up. No, no, no. Haven't you noticed that we haven't fucking stopped? Shut up! But it's funny because I'll hear from people who are like, like you'll see, a, like last year, was, I, 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 we talked about it, I don't know, whenever, and I saw a Montreal fan, uh, and I follow this person, and they're like, they're like, can you stop talking about the cap? Like, no one gives a shit. You're from Toronto. We get it. You want to spend more money, blah, 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 blah. And then, whoa, whoa. and that's the same. We're from the, Toronto? And then the same person, not kidding, love you, but same person, then said, oh, yeah, of course the Lightning won. They had a $92 million uh, payroll. So which is it? And so, so at the end of the day, I like the rules as they currently stand because they're ridiculous and they don't make sense. And because ultimately, it's not a fair cap. And you try to make sports as fair as possible, but, you know, sports aren't fair. That's the whole point. We're three Leaf fans on a prominent hockey podcast. I promise if we start coming vehemently against, we, we start coming out vehemently against um, or f- sorry, for the things that we hate, we should be pro owner at this point. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> we should be pro. Go billionaires! <laughs> Fuck yeah! I think here, here, watch, watch the public opinion turn at the, at the drop of a hat. I think what the lightning is doing is really good and smart. Now all of a sudden, everyone hates it. Well, no, yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, what it is is that this is an imperfect agreement. Um. And, you know, in future Agent Provocateur episodes, we're going to, Alan has told Jesse and I some stories because Jesse produces. So he hears all the behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. We have heard some stories about how that lockout ended in 04 mm-hmm. and how that deal happened mm-hmm. and what was left on the table by the owners and a major screw up that they had. But there was some stuff, some really bad shit that happened. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, there are books on it, but nobody reads them. And I, I have to tell you, it's it's sort of fascinating now looking at it because Gary's having to defend this thing that's objectively shitty. It's stupid. Doesn't make sense. Well, now let's get. You're never going to get Gary Bettman to criticize the thing that he fought tooth and nail for. 